what you're listening to, WCBN FM Ann Arbor. And right now we're listening to music composed by Philip Glass, performed by Yukati. The title of this song is Jipura River off of the album Aguas da Amazonia. And before that, we heard a dance track by Erasure titled Who Needs Love Like That off of the same album, Who Needs Love Like That. And before that, we had Casper the Friendly Ghost with Daniel Johnston, I Know Casper, off of the album Artistic Vice. And before that, we had a song dedicated to Beth Christensen by Helen Reddy, I Am a Woman, a classic song in the vein of fight, fighting for sports, or in this case, for yourself. And then before that, we started off the set with the Hungry March Band with Haitian Fight Song. So I hope you enjoyed our set. That's all it goes for us today. And here's Ryan to say goodbye as well. Thanks. Have a good time. Um, I just wanted to, I, I heard a word uh, that it's halftime in the Rose Bowl and it's, the score is three to three. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, you guys have a good time and I'll see you tomorrow morning uh, from six to nine in the morning.
Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. We're doing sort of a Rose Bowl halftime version. Jim will be taking over engineering as well as uh, engineering and then uh, sitting in doing some free form for the next several hours. So do stay tuned. He always plays an interesting mix with uh, his eclectic music tastes variety. And maybe we'll hear a little blues in honor of Yazoo City Calling. Obviously, uh, <laughs> the game's tied 3-3 at halftime. It's not the Rose Bowl I was expecting, but uh, with the passing of Jerry Ford. Saddam Hussein and James Brown, we've got quite a, a troika there. Yeah, all in the same week. Uh, they'll probably always be linked somehow. And I don't know if they were playing James Brown's uh, I Feel Good while Saddam was swinging from the gallows. but <laughs> Well, somewhere out there on the Internet, you know that... that uh, Cell phone footage, which has mm -hmm. now been uh, seen by you know, ubiquitous, some, right, uh, is eventually going to get turned into that sort of a video clip. Um, perhaps even already up and available on some sort of blog somewhere. And of course, Jerry Ford was uh, the only president from the state of Michigan. He was a Michigan alumni, and he was an All-American football player. Uh, the Aflac trivia question. Who was the last Michigan football player to have their jersey retired? Well, now you know. It's Jerry Ford. He wore 48. And, of course, he was a two-time All-American at center. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, the Ford presidency, of course, is being reassessed by historians for uh, various reasons. It's interesting that Bob Woodward seems to be uh, one of the leading court historians that's leading the charge in... Uh, sort of burnishing Ford's reputation. Uh, I think we can all say that Jerry Ford was a decent and honorable man. But I would uh, also comment that he might have been a little bit of a sycophant for the uh, establishment. Uh, his role in the Warren Commission, if you go back and you check uh, many of the uh, critiques of uh, the investigation into the assassination of John F. Kennedy, it was clear that Jerry Ford was feeding information to J. Edgar Hoover at the FBI. And I think that his becoming president was also an interesting uh, example of how the establishment really works. I think that uh, sometime in 1973 it was becoming increasingly clear that Richard Nixon uh, would no longer be able to serve out his full term for a variety of reasons. Uh, his real problems, of course, were sort of a steady erosion of trust amongst the American people. But the Saturday Night Massacre uh, proved to be one of the beginnings of his undoings, and I think that it was arranged that uh, the country could not have Spiro Agnew as president. So they <laughs> organized... Thank God for small favors. They organized a compromise, so to speak, and I think that uh, in praising Gerald Ford... Uh, I don't think there's anything bad to say about his tenure in uh, Congress. I think that he uh, performed his role as minority leader quite admirably. Uh, Johnson, by the way, in naming Ford to the commission privately, told uh, Richard Russell that uh, he was naming Gerald Ford because he played a lot of football without his helmet. <laughs> uh, he didn't think highly of him, but he knew that he would uh, go along with the establishment uh, arrangement. In which, this is the uh, Warren Commission. The Warren Commission would find that Lee Harvey Oswald, acting alone as a lone gunman, uh, he and only he killed uh, John F. Kennedy. Uh, 
Ford, of course, was known for bipartisanship. I think we all can agree that he was a decent, uh, honest politician. He served the country uh, in many capacities. And I think that over the recent years, he's become a sort of an elder statesman critic of the GOP and their rightward uh, policy uh, trends that I think that he uh, did deplore. Uh, It's interesting that when he... I saw the Larry King uh, re-interview after he passed away because I ironically went to see The Good Shepherd the night he died and was actually watching the movie, which is about early CIA uh, history. And uh, Ford uh, unequivocally said that he and Betty were pro-choice and that uh, he also... uh, thought that there needed to be some regulations regarding guns, pointing out that he personally had never owned a gun. Well, there actually had been, as strange as it may seem to recall this, there were two assassination attempts yeah. on Ford. And they were very uh, compressed in terms of, uh, they, they happened almost within a month of each right, like other. a month and a half, I think. Both One out them, in California. Right. One was by Squeaky Fromm, the... Uh Manson family minion, yeah. uh, and of course, you know who knows what's going on there. But uh, I don't recall the other one. But they were very closely uh, linked in time. Yeah, and I found out that they're actually uh, in prison in Parkersburg, West Virginia, which is about forty miles from where I grew up in Ohio. Um, I think that Ford's uh, presidency is being reassessed for a variety of reasons. Obviously, inherited a lot of. Uh, sort of the aftermath of Vietnam. In fact, he was president when Saigon was actually evacuated. Uh, But another very important uh, incident during the Ford presidency was the so-called Halloween massacre. And that was when uh, George Bush was installed, uh, George Bush uh, H.W., installed as head of the CIA. Uh, James uh, Schlesinger was fired for... uh, as the uh, Secretary of Defense, and that's how Rumsfeld became Secretary of, Fe- of Defense, and Dick Cheney was elevated from Assistant Chief of Staff to Chief of Staff. Rumsfeld had served uh, Ford as Chief of Staff, and apparently it was a sort of a deal that was orchestrated by uh, Rumsfeld and possibly Al Haig. So uh, the, the Ford presidency... Uh, and we're lucky here in Ann Arbor to have the Ford Presidential Library up on uh, North Campus where one can peer into many of these documents. And it's very interesting that just today is the beginning of a new declassification process at the National Archives uh, and apparently a lot of uh, new uh, FBI, CIA, and uh, national security documents will actually be distributed to many of the presidential libraries. Uh, Ford, of course, was known as a klutz. Um, Saturday Night Live spoofed that quite well, but uh, as most experts point out, Gerald Ford was probably the best athlete that ever occupied the White House. Indeed, the uh, swimming pool uh, in the White House, if that's still there, I'm not sure, uh, was uh, reestablished for the first time under him. Uh, Yeah, the uh, image of Nixon going swimming is... (laughs) (laughs) Nixon and his swimming trunks. He would have sank, I'm afraid. (laughs) (laughs) No one ever taught the boy how to swim. But, uh, yeah, I mean, um, it was really probably uh, the pardon of Nixon Mm -hmm. that doomed Ford to, you know, any chance of election. You can't really say re-election because, of course, 
He was not actually, he was our first non-elected president. Yeah. And, um, in fact, I would say he was appointed. Yeah, exactly. And so if, uh, he hadn't pardoned Nixon, I think he may well have been reelected because just the taint was, was that strong. Yeah, and the idea that this was causing some sort of, I don't know, national crisis at the time, I think is a bit of a, a myth. Um, I think that uh, certainly there were Nixon detractors, if not haters, that were appalled at the pardon because it did sort of truncate the the, the role of the judicial process into the, the actual truth about some of the Watergate that facts. Would have been, that would have been closure. And the real problem, of course, is that many of the facts about Watergate are still coming out today. Mm -hmm. um, it's important to remember that when Ford pardoned Nixon, he made the remarkable statement that he was pardoning him for uh, any crimes that he committed or may have committed, right. <laughs> which is a very broad pardon. Um, I think that it saved, it was designed more to save the GOP than anything. Right. I, I don't think it was, I don't think there was this national malaise about Watergate. I think that people probably, in retrospect, actually probably very few people were really following Watergate with any uh, great detail, uh, though as a teenager I certainly was interested. Well, I think at that point it became just so clear whether or not you were following the daily uh, you know, news uh, extensively. That Nixon was as guilty as the, the day is long. Yeah. And uh, clearly serious wrongdoing. Has, you know, people would have been, okay, we got a new president. Uh, things are rolling smoothly. Okay, let that other guy be dealt with. You know, I think the system would have processed it. And in praising Ford, I think that the uh, one of the problems ultimately with the both the Richard Nixon administration and the Lyndon Johnson administration, for that matter, to some extent, was the abuse of power, mm. the systematic abuse of power. And I think it's fair to say that Gerald Ford was not involved in that kind of right. malicious um, manipulation of the system. Uh, he did believe in the in the concept of bipartisanship, uh, compromise, negotiation, whatever you want to call it. That's basically his background uh, from the Congress. And I right. think that that was, uh, in retrospect, one of Ford's great uh, contributions uh, for his brief presidency. I think that he did restore some semblance of... Uh, the American system of political uh, discourse. Fair play. Fair play. I don't think he was a vicious man. Uh, I don't think he had that sort of mean, power-mongering uh, <laughs> component of his personality that uh, I think both Johnson and Nixon uh, did possess. And you have to give Gerald Ford points for uh, asking Kissinger to relinquish his title as National Security Director. I mean, he he'd actually did want to get... <laughs> Kissinger kind of out of that loop. And, of course, Scowcroft <clears throat> became the national security advisor under uh, Ford. So here's another important establishment figure that later surfaces in the first Bush administration. Um, they're called, you know, centrists, so to speak, but they're centrists only to the extent that the uh, Republican Party has... And I think that Gerald Ford deplored this as he got older in life, uh, gone so far to the right. Yeah, in fact, the uh, interview that he gave uh, some pretty critical comments about the uh, war in Iraq are pretty damning yeah. uh, language. I mean, for such a mild-mannered guy, for such a uh, bipartisan and really such a ultimate party functionary in a way, doing his job to uh, recover the uh, GOP. 
as a party. And it's interesting that he um, gave that interview to Bob Woodward, and that was released uh, after his passing as sort of a deal that the ultimate court historian made with Gerald Ford. And that, too, is unfortunate that, Mm -hmm. you know, that this couldn't have been said while he lived and breathed. But uh, I'll read the quote because it bears repeating. Uh, This is what Ford said. And now I've never publicly said that I thought they made a mistake, but I felt very strongly it was an error in how they should justify what they were going to do. I just don't think we should go hellfire damnation around the globe freeing people unless it is directly related to our own national security. That's pretty powerful language from a 94-year-old man. Yeah, and and I think that that's also part of Gerald Ford's... uh, personality uh that has made him revered a little bit this week uh the week of his passing and of course there are state funerals and further commemorations uh, even here in the state of michigan later in the week so uh if you get a chance someday you know go up to the gerald r ford library and see if you can read some documents <laughs> <coughs> Yeah, interesting. Um, although, of course, uh, unlike the Nixon Museum, his will be funded by taxpayer dollars. <laughs> the Nixon uh, Museum is unique in that it is the only presidential museum not funded by taxpayer dollars. And it's probably still being funded by B.B. Rebozo and Well, the gift shop uh, is the mafia and selling a God lot of God knows who else. Good uh, Nixon, of there. course, had all sorts of corporate cronies. Uh, that's another uh, real quick tribute to Gerald R. Ford that I think we should make. Uh, when he retired as president, he was he was broke. I mean, he was not a man that hmm. personally benefited uh, with sweetheart uh, under the table uh, cash contributions. Lyndon Johnson, incidentally, retired supposedly with a fortune of about forty million dollars. Well, we know Dick Cheney's doing quite well for himself. <laughs> yes, too, so <laughs> despite the so-called blind trust, so. Uh, in that regard, Gerald, uh, Gerald Ford was a true public servant, and uh, we should commend Gerald Ford's uh, service to the country. I think that it was appropriate for George Bush uh, in announcing the passing of Jerry Ford that he uh, made that comment. Yeah, and uh, those are good words uh, to end uh, that. Um, just a real quick word, because it's been said on a zillion freeform shows, but uh, mostly in a musical sense. Uh, James Brown in the history books, a hundred years from now, you're going to read about some of the things that that he did uh, as a public citizen, as a celebrity, as an entertainer, uh, that really were kind of crucial watershed moments in the acceptance of the civil rights movement. And so James Brown, yes, everybody knows, is a musical genius whose legacy will live forever. But uh, he was a person who also had uh, a political and a cultural impact that affected the way the country thought about certain things. And uh, he was a powerful figure, and uh, that deserves to be mentioned on Gray Matters as well. Yeah, and uh, I heard a little brief part of Amy Goodman's uh, interview with a a man in New York that actually was doing a documentary about how James Brown had been cut out of the system, that, uh, you know, they weren't uh, allowing him to the artistic freedom that he really had and he was not being i guess the word is you know sort of put in a straitjacket yeah um and that is an unfortunate aspect of uh 
corporate control of music. And uh, I'm not a particular expert on uh, James Brown, so I'm not going to make too many comments about his uh, career because I just don't know the facts. Well, his politics were a little weird because yeah. he was you know, very friendly with uh, Nixon. right-wingers, <laughs> and that was surprising to people, but I don't want to go too much into that. There, there are reasons, I think, that that can be contextualized. Um, but a song like Say It Loud, I'm Black, I'm Proud, if you look at the history of American popular music, uh, to make a song like that and to make a song like that a hit uh, is a pretty powerful uh, artistic act, regardless of uh, whatever you think about the man's uh, personal politics or personal behavior. Yeah. Not always the best either, but hey, it's Well, crazy he world. lived life to its fullest. Indeed. We'll give him credit for that. And uh, I suppose we really probably do need to talk about Saddam Hussein and his uh, last dance. Yeah, I think that the execution of Saddam Hussein bordered on the bizarre, really. Um, <laughs> but again, very typical for every possible way in which this entire Iraq war has gone poorly or strangely. Yeah, and, and I think that once again they were looking at a kind of a phony deadline. Obviously the right. Iraqi government wanted to uh, do the dirty deed before this uh, Muslim holiday started, but... Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I just, I don't see uh, what it really accomplished. I think actually trying Saddam Hussein for other crimes uh, might have been appropriate. I don't think... Uh, well, they had just scratched the surface of his crimes. I mean, yeah. uh, there were a number of... I think that would have been more useful and demonstrative of, well, okay, this is how bad he really was. Let's continue the list. Yeah, and I think it would be interesting if uh, the American media would focus more on how Saddam Hussein actually accrued power... Uh, there's growing evidence that in the mid-60s, uh, the CIA saw Saddam Hussein as a uh, anti-communist that they were covertly supporting within the Ba'ath Party structure and may have done some, shall we say, intelligence work for Saddam Hussein's oh, rise they, to power. They did, in fact. Uh, Tariq Ali's excellent book, Bush and Babylon, The Recolonization of Iraq, covers A superb that, book, by the way. Covers that history pretty well and talks about the way in which the CIA fed the Ba'ath Party information about the Communist Party, and uh, that was Saddam's rise. And, of course, it's interesting that in today's um, front page of the New York Times, we're told in John Burns and Mark Santora's article, um, that Americans who turned him into a pariah and drove him from power proved to be his unlikely benefactors in the face of new Iraqi rulers who seemed bent on turning the execution and its aftermath into a new nightmare. Well, it really was a new nightmare anyway, but Americans who turned him into a pariah after he had already been their benefactee. Um, so that's a really kind of strangely concise history of the uh, relationship that Saddam enjoyed with America. Um, yes, uh, we were his benefactors for a long period of time. <clears throat> yeah, and it's interesting, of course, that just yesterday they announced the death of the 3,000th American troop yeah. uh, in Iraq. And I was just sort of just randomly scanning back over the last several months. And it's interesting to note that... Uh, and these are the official uh, de de Department of Defense uh, um, releases that the New York Times uh, regularly publish. But on the 2nd of March, the American death toll stood at, and these are military deaths, by the way. These exclude uh, 
civilian contractors and that sort of stuff. That, by the way, numbers supposedly uh, in in the 400 to 500 range. But uh, back on the 2nd of March, that number stood at 2,288. As of the 26th of August, it stood at 2,612. So you can see in recent months, there's been a rather um, alarming rise uh, in the number of American military deaths. And uh, before uh, the Christmas break, I roundly critiqued and criticized this brain-damaged notion that President Bush uh, seems to be entertaining of a surge of American troops uh, into uh, the Iraq military arena because it's, uh, quite frankly, three and a half years too late. Well, and it could have the uh, effect of being, uh, I'm not sure if this is the technical military strategy term for it, but it's a so-called honeypot. I mean, this was the strategy of the Iraqi resistance from the beginning was to retreat, collapse, mm-hmm. sink, shrink into the background only to emerge later as a sort of a you know multifaceted uh, force. Um, this is only going to welcome a more response to that. Um, Indeed. They brought in the numbers of troops. Okay, Baghdad's out of control. Let's pull the troops back into Baghdad. Well, then that drew all the attacks back to Baghdad. And uh, it's, there's going to be a reaction and a response to it, just exactly as there will be to the execution of Saddam. Uh, an article inside the Times today, Sabrina Tevernese, uh has some interesting uh, things to say. Um, Speaking uh, an Iraqi who says this is a political mistake, we lost a lot with this, and you've uh, referred to this just a moment ago, Dick. Uh, to make matters worse, the execution fell just as the first day of the Id al-Adha holiday dawned for Sunnis, a day before uh, the Shiites' observance was to begin. So this is exacerbating civil tensions and civil war tendencies uh, already with this execution. Shiite politicians did not apologize, and some even reveled in the timing. That did a major disservice to reconciliation, many argued. Why couldn't they have waited for a few days more? It was a deliberate insult to so many people. It helped Saddam's friends. And then we get this comment. With the execution of Saddam, the Arab identity of Iraq and its unity have ended. That's a startling comment, and I think one that is going to bear ugly fruit, that uh, this will, in fact, be a precursor to an increased tendency between Sunni and Shia. Yeah, and it's strange that the Bush, you know, that there are now some stories emerging that claim that the uh, United States was uh, concerned about the consequences of quickly uh, hanging Saddam Hussein, but then why did the United States turn him over so quickly? Um, you know, the statement was on Friday afternoon that the United States was turning over Saddam Hussein's personal belongings, which struck me as sort of bizarre because Don't they already have those most of them are in the green zone where the united states right. military uh, headquarters and embassy are operating out of and his personal belongings uh strike me as numbering in the you know something like the you know fernando uh fernando marcos's uh right. realm of corruption i mean uh uh, I don't know what sort of personal belongings he would have had in his uh, his cell, but uh, certainly the United States uh, could have avoided this rapid uh, hanging by just holding on to him for another couple of weeks. Uh, the Iraqi court had made its ruling, but there didn't seem to be any uh, real reason to hasten his uh, his hanging. But uh, nothing to be gained from the from the urgency of it. I yeah, mean, it was done sure. so quickly. No. 
you know, typically I'm against the the death penalty, and in this case, I w- I would agree that there are better ways to punish Saddam, uh, not torture, obviously, but besides execution. Um, but uh, you know, I'm willing to concede the point that okay, he's a horrible criminal and a, definitely a mass murderer. Okay, I can even see executing Saddam, but not so quickly. Exactly. And Saddam, uh, these are the only kinds of cases, by the way, in which I do support the death penalty. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, George Bush may have to answer for uh, similar crimes against humanity, if that's ever going to be the phrase applied to the uh, American invasion of Iraq. I somewhat doubt it. Um, obviously, there's a perception uh, in the uh, Arab world at large that this is uh, victor's justice and that this, uh, at the end of the day, Probably will accomplish very little. Nope. Not much good will come of it. As satisfying as it may be for uh, W, I suppose, or Rumsfeld's probably going to watch that video clip from the cell phone a couple of times tonight in his study. Um, What he probably should watch is a movie I want to quickly recommend. Uh, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I've only just recently seen this film. Being a, a lover of cinema, I'm surprised that I only finally just got around to it. But this war has gone on for three years. You talked of 3,000 American dead, thousands, dozens of thousands of Iraqi civilians dead. Uh, there's a French film from 1952 by René Clement, I believe, Forbidden Games. And if you want a very powerful emotional experience uh, explaining in very clear terms and very poetic terms what war does to children, mm-hmm. watch this film. And... Uh, that's all I have to say is, is watch that film, Forbidden Games. And uh, if you've seen it before, you know what I'm talking about. If not, uh, I can't urge you strongly enough to see this film and uh, think about the children of our troops, the children affected over there. Sure. Um, it's uh, pretty, pretty powerful stuff. And, so. of course, war was Saddam's undoing ultimately. Uh, his uh, disastrous invasion of Iran in 1980. Uh, led to uh, the precipitous decline of uh, Iraq, uh, Iraqi society. Um, tremendous uh, costs involved in terms of both mon- you know treasure and lives lost in Iraq, um, and then the, you know the invasion of Kuwait, which was related to that uh, first right. war decision. So it's it's like a bridge too far. You know, it's 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 one war too many, and of course George Bush ironically is confronted. Uh, with a similar legacy, um, because he's uh, started two wars in the name of, quote, fighting terror, unquote, with terror. And uh, there's a contradiction in that. And the uh, violence of of war we all deplore down here on Gray Matters, as well as I'm sure most of the people here at WCBN, that there are uh, more appropriate uh, solutions to political problems. And that, alas, is probably a New Year's resolution that George Bush has not considered. So we give him a brain damage award for continuing to act like the tough guy. All right. Well, uh, everyone, enjoy the rest of your New Year's Day. Jerry Mack is here, and you'll have uh, early blues coming your way for the next uh, 59 minutes. So thanks for listening to Gray Matters. And stay tuned at 8 o'clock, because Jim will be back doing some free forum. Meanwhile, I'm going to... Go watch the Rose Bowl.